0: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, regulars on this podcast. Chad Finn is a Boston Globe sports media writer and general columnist. Austin Karp is a sports business journal managing editor slash digital. You know, For other guests, I would give them a long, fancy intro. Maybe we'd have a cold open, but you two guys, you get the regular treatment. Welcome, Chad. Welcome. Welcome, Austin.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me back.
0: All right, Chad, I'm going to start with you. Uh, All right. Over, we're going to do, we're going to go some specifics on each of the games, but generally speaking, let's start. Give me an overview of the NFL Super Wild Card weekend. Just some of your top line thoughts uh, from watching the uh, orgy of of football.
2: Uh, Be talking broadcaster
0: teams. uh, Uh, Whatever you uh, want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I have uh, no, I mean, no disrespect to you, but I I do not want your uh, evaluation of the Jaguars offensive line.
2: That's that's probably good. Uh, uh, Well, I I think one of the probably the primary storyline of the weekend, uh, at least if you're judging by social media, was um, you know Al Michaels and uh, the issues that uh, they had with a lack of excitement, I guess you could say with the call with the chargers Jacksonville game, um, which, uh, you know, turned on a dime, looked like San Diego was going to win on a blowout and, uh, they chargered it all over themselves. And, and, uh, I get complaints from, uh, you know, every time, everywhere you look on Twitter, email, whatever that uh, Al just didn't have the energy that, uh, you would expect in that particular moment. And, uh, I I agree with it. I'm not sure why it happened. I know he came out and defended the broadcast a little bit. but uh, And I know you talked to him recently, Rich, as have I. But uh, it was surprising to see that uh, uh, you look back at some of the great games that Al's called through the years. And his resume is better than anybody else's. I think of that 2014 uh, season Super Bowl with the Patriots and Seahawks where he and Collinsworth were perfect in the end of that game, it was unbelievable. From identifying Malcolm Butler immediately when he made the interception, and this just felt like uh, quite a ways away from that. And it was, uh, I felt bad because I really like Gal and he's probably my favorite guy to listen to to call a football game. But uh, that was pretty rough.
1: Austin, you know, I only caught the end and. You know, I, I the Dungy stuff makes sense. That there's a reason he's not normally in the booth. Um, he, he's he's an analyst. He's a, that that's his job, and him calling a game isn't the most natural fit. And I think they, you know, that, that was that bore out. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's not like Al came off the bench for this. He's been doing he's been doing this all season He's been calling NFL all season. And I guess nobody's going to bat a thousand. Uh, like you said, Chad. He, I mean, the body of work is there, and, and over the course of his career. But, yeah, it, it was, are you expecting something different from somebody of, of his ilk?
0: All right, so we'll start. This It's a sort of a good place to start, and I'll sort of get, offer my own col- uh, comments about Al. Obviously, he was a guest on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. Wrote about him for The Athletic as well in terms of how he felt about calling Amazon's games. He says his sort of enthusiasm and fandom for the sport – remain as high as they ever have and I believe that he did have some as you know he called it uh you know, trying to sell a uh, 20 year old Mazda games he you know you can't be a used car salesman if uh if the car coming off the lot isn't good I thought he and Dungy were incredibly flat like stunningly flat I watched that's that the right game. word yeah and um it, very very surprising particularly in the fourth quarter where Jacksonville is making this like epic crazy comeback and it just you know they felt like you know it's a preseason game right between like the you know <laughs> the ch- the chiefs and chargers it just it it was very very strange to me um and again you know i this is the least my least favorite part of sports media is to sort of do at this point uh announcer critiques and commentary because i think the three of us have been in enough i've talked to enough people over the years like we realize like the job is not easy and it's yeah, hard, bad, bad, bad television is hard to do uh, if you could sort of follow me here. Um, and so I have great respect for it. Obviously I was on the air for three straight years in Toronto and uh, we also were simulcast on TV for two years. So I know all about just, you have good days and bad days, but I was really, really surprised. Um, and I think if you're going to sort of try to diagnose what happened, I, I think it's, dungie does not give you any opportunities in my opinion as a play-by-play broadcaster to amp things up. He's so low key. Um he he doesn't in my opinion sort of react to the emotion of the moment. He's very analytical that way. That I think if you're Al and you you haven't worked with the guy before, certainly not before this year, you're you're in a tough spot. It's up to you to then amp the broadcast up the way someone like Gus Johnson could, and Al just didn't do it. Like for whatever reason, it just he he was off. And particularly for me, that final call of the, right, of the game yeah. winner. Like, you got nothing, which was stunning. Um, but I think I would just say, to final up on Al, I don't think he's lost his fastball. I, I think he'll be fine next year on on Amazon. I think um, Kirk Herbstreet, for him, even though I don't particularly love Herbstreet as an NFL analyst, I think he brings the requisite amount of energy. And I would not worry about Al Michaels. But, you know, listen, the criticism, if that's what we want to call it, is absolutely warranted. And you know, even Hall of Famers, right? They have they have off days, you know. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, as we know, is not going to win the Super Bowl every year. You know, nor is Patrick Mahomes or Connor McDavid uh, for the Stanley Cup. And so, so that's how I read. Who do you I wanna, pair him with?
1: Who do you who do you bring back? Al's going to come back, but who do you pair him with for NBC? In place, yeah, in place of Dungy to to bring that energy in, in case of this scenario next year.
0: That's a great question. But honestly, <laughs> no offense to Dungie but I think anybody else would have been. <laughs> more energetic. Like I I think No, not keep, Jason Garrett though. Well if you're gonna keep Collinsworth actually they like they're high on Jason Garrett, interesting enough. If, if if you're gonna keep Collinsworth with uh Tirico, then you do have to figure out who you're gonna bring with Al. I have to think about that one Austin, but like literally, like I think Rodney Harrison would have been better. And I have no idea if Rodney Harrison would be a good or bad game analyst. He's just a more Like up tempo guy. You know what I mean? Um, He doesn't pull punches
2: either. Yeah. I I, I think that's
1: what you would have needed in this scenario. You needed somebody that was going to just really be into the moment. And Tony is just, like you said, he's just too analytical. He is too, he is perfect for a studio show setting. He's not meant to call the end of an exciting game like this.
0: Here's the other thing, too. I feel like if you're going to put someone without Michaels who he's never worked with before, maybe get a little creative and go outside of the box and bring somebody who's just like right off the field. Like, what's the difference, right? Like, you know, you already know that, or at least in my sort of objective opinion, I don't think you're going to get much in the way of sort of energy with Dungy. So, you know, maybe you bring somebody who literally, uh, who has great interest in being a broadcaster after the career is over and you take someone who's a current player. You know, that could have been an interesting that could have been an interesting broadcast. It's for the NBC thing though, this is not back to back years in one of their playoff games. You know, it's Drew Brees, right, oh, yeah. last year, <laughs> and now Dungy Michaels this year, where they just they they got crushed for their broadcast. And, you know, I know our 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 pals at NBC Sports PR. Well, all of us will probably be getting a call from them after this podcast, but like you got to live with it, fellas. Like, that's just the reality. It wasn't a good broadcast. And when, you know, I'm not saying Twitter is a uh, is a correct sentiment uh, note for anything. But, you know, when it's like 100% of the people saying the same thing, it does sort of open your eyes. Con- conversely, and I'm going to go to you, Austin. I don't know if you watch this game, but I, I am really it's really interesting to me how many people have been praising Greg Olson this year. Yes. Um, I didn't see it. And like, I'm not saying I didn't see it because I do. I think he's a good analyst. I'm just saying I didn't see the average football fan really sort of celebrating his commentary, but I think people have really appreciated what he's brought. And it makes for a very, very interesting conversation now for Fox given Tom Brady's, um, you know, unknown future Obviously, if Tom Brady decides he's going to be a broadcaster, Greg Olsen is done in that booth. That's just Lachlan Murdoch is not paying 37 million bucks or whatever it is to Tom Brady for him to be on the number two team. But Olson's become a very, very interesting figure, uh, Austin, to me because he, he really had an exceptional year um, that was unlike any other broadcaster's face because he has this you know, 10,000-pound uh, elephant sitting behind him at some point.
1: No, given the circumstances, I think he had an incredible season. You talk about, you know, coming off the field and he's had, you know, experience here and there calling some games. I think he did well for the season. Is he having that Tony Romo type reception where it's like, wow, I can't believe he's this good this fast. No, I don't think it's that sort of reception, but I think he's solid. Uh, If you have the ability to get Tom Brady in that booth, yeah, you're going to put him in that booth. And we'll see what happens. We'll see if Greg wants to do that number two. We'll see if they try to maybe do a three-man booth. I don't know if that would work. But uh, yeah, you're paying Brady all that money. You're going to have to fit him in there somehow, even if it's a square peg in a round hole. But I I like the work that Greg has done. And I think he's young enough, and I think he's good enough, that he's going to improve as the years go on. And I think he's really going to work at the craft to get better.
0: Yeah, let me just uh, let the listeners know. There's no chance this will be a three-person booth. Tom Brady... (laughs) I would almost imagine it could. even I obviously none of us have seen the contract. I would not be surprised if that contract even designates that Tom's in a in a two person booth. I don't. I don't see that, Chad. But Chad, you've been um, when you've come on this podcast, you've probably been the highest of any of my guests on Olson. So this is no surprise to you, right?
2: It's not. No, I, it, things I like about him: um, genuine enthusiasm self-deprecating you know he's handled this whole Brady thing really well he's got a bunch of one liners about uh, about how it affects him but hasn't seemed at all envious or petty or defensive or any of those things Uh, I also think we found out lately I guess in recent years by some of the hires that have been made that it's really hard to find somebody who's good it seems like it shouldn't be because you have such a large pool of players who who want to get into this but you look i mean NBA, uh, you, you look back at the Witten and Booger booth, uh, which just didn't work on Monday Night Football. You look at um, some of the decisions I think NBC's made. I, I, I don't think Garrett's very good. Uh, I don't think it's a good idea at all to put Dungey in the booth. We, we've seen him do it before. I think it was on a three-man, and uh, he was the same way he was the other night. Uh, Chris Sims has really been elevated. Rodney's been uh, kind of cut back a little bit. They gave, they gave They gave Breeze a prominent role that he clearly wasn't, ready for it's just uh um it's difficult and fox got this one right with olsen they identified the guy while he was still playing uh he got some reps in the booth uh before his career was over and he they thought he was going to be good and he is and um i'm really curious to see how uh this Elevates this profile with them having the Super Bowl this year because you don't still don't think of Burkhart and Olsen as the A-team yet. People are still adjusting to uh, the thought of uh, Buck and and Aikman not being there when the Super Bowl comes around. But when they have that game and if they have a good call, um, I I think he's going to end up being a really well-regarded guy nationally more than uh, he even is right now. And uh, I got to give them credit for getting that right. Austin, did you watch the Cowboys-Bucks game?
1: I did watch.
0: Okay, so this to me was interesting in that, um, you know, one is the season finale for Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and the earliest, like those guys, will have ended an NFL season <laughs> right in twenty something years. Given obviously they had the, they were number one on the Fox package. I think if you're ESPN. I think you have to be really happy with year one. Um, the viewership numbers were done, and thank you, Austin Carp, who I texted <laughs> and then cited in my athletic <laughs> column today on that. But like we all know that viewership, particularly Monday Night Football, is going to be dictated by matchups, quality of the game. Um, you know, no announcer, <laughs> no announcer could have come in and and is bringing you an extra million viewers. I, I don't even know if John Madden in his prime like does anything like that it's just that's just not the reality of how television works but i think if you're espn i think you one you got to be happy with how monday night football played out and two and this was the thing that i just struck me all week this to me was like a mini how they would present a super bowl like they sent like an army to tampa they had programming it felt like you know 24 7 on every channel mm-hmm. hyping this game up i mean they had the mandalorian trailer that they brought out for Monday Night Football. They brought Peyton and Eli to do this game. So that was my takeaway, is that like if you want a little glimpse of what 2026, when ESPN-ABC has their first Super Bowl, like this Monday was it.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree more. It, it definitely had that mega-cast feel that you would expect from ESPN that they do for these big events. They have kind of perfected that now, That make, using all of their outlets, all of their platforms, all of their personnel – make everything feel like it's super it's a Super Bowl whether it's a wild card game whether it's the CFP national championship and yeah I mean I don't I mean I, I am very much looking forward to how they are going to present a Super Bowl for the first time in like the ESPN era it's bringing all of ESPN's assets to bear but in terms of their season this year yeah I really liked Buck and Aikman I've always liked Buck and Aikman they're my favorite you know NFL booth and they move pretty seamlessly over to Monday Night Football. I don't think the the drop in numbers really had much to do with them. I think that had more to do with you know some scheduling quirks, like when ESPN and the NFL did the Week Two crossover where they tried to do two games at once. That cannibalized a lot of their audience. And they lost one of their biggest games of the year when the audience for Bengals Bills was not included because of Demar Hamlin's right. you know cardiac arrest. So you know that that cut into it a little bit. I think they'll bounce back. And a lot of people forget because you know this was. This first came out, well, I think, right around right before COVID. But now, Monday Night Football in December next year will have flex scheduling capability. You're going <laughs> to get some right. really great, point. solid playoff potential games on Monday Night Football, probably with the Manning cast, and you're going to get some really strong numbers there late in the season next year.
2: Uh,
0: Chad, I want to go to you. So I I've, I wanted to check ESPN.com during the day to just sort of get a sense of how the the digital arm was, uh, ampli- uh, amplifying, and, um, uh, and elevating the game coverage that was coming out. And what did I, I was rewarded with a giant box promising in, ca- in all caps, Aikman and Stephen A break down how Brady can hurt the Cowboys. <laughs> so Chris LaPlaca, Josh Krulowicz, these guys came through for me on all the over the top, uh, publicity hype. Uh, it's so, by the way, just name dropping that those are ESPN, uh, PR people uh, probably Bill Hoffheimer
1: that's but an Insider's insider reference There
0: yeah would have been better uh, na- Quality name Drops by myself but uh, the Point was that like they I mean Listen ESPN um, Does excess like no other sports Network in history and that's not necessarily a Criticism like that's just part of their DNA you know they want to overwhelm You with stuff And so This was really really interesting to me Chad Just like to see every, pretty much, right, every sort of NFL-based studio show uh, was on site. They obviously had their, you know, their debate shows that they want to really push on site. They sent their usual armada <laughs> of football people on site. They had the Manny cast, as, uh, as Austin um, pointed out, doing this game. And then, obviously, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Lisa Salters. So the one thing, and we talked, man, I can't, you know, when you would come on, Chad, we must have talked about this forever. The one thing that ESPN executives really, really hated was just how much Monday Night Football was getting dragged. Yeah, you know, from Booger on, from Booger on a crane to uh, Tessa you know, is right. Yeah. Is Tessa the right guy? Is yeah. Steve Levy the right guy? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. While on the other networks, Romo was getting praised to the hilt. Buck and Aikman. Uh, had their reputation, you know, Collinsworth, Michaels, Tariqo, again, had their reputations. So finally, they don't have to deal with this anymore. If nothing else, Buck and Aikman made the broadcast feel big mm-hmm. and they're not getting any of this like endless criticism <laughs> for how come you can't figure out the Monday Night Football League.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I liked the Riddick, Greasy, uh, Levy booth, but uh, sure I don't I. think anyone would thought it had a fraction of the magnitude of what Buck and Aikman have and uh, I think you saw that reflected in a couple of ways this year I mean just generally speaking the Monday night games felt bigger they got a better line uh, better lineup of games this season Uh, they had this weekend probably the game people were anticipating the most uh, you know given what a draw the Cowboys still are and potentially Tom Brady's last game, uh, turned out to be a dud, but, uh, that that's a hell of a game for ESPN to have. So, um, they totally got their money's worth out of Buck and Aikman this year. And I don't know if you, you guys sense this, or get a feeling about this, but I feel like people like Joe Buck better. Now he, he took so much grief for a long time at Fox, I think, because, you know, he's so young when he got those prominent roles and, uh, Kind of got treated like an epitism case a little bit and took people a long time to realize how good he was on his own. I think switching networks has benefited him in particular, where he's in this prime spot on Monday night, helping revitalize uh, uh, something that uh, the older generation remembers as must see television. And uh, I think it's been good for him uh, just to, to get away from Fox and get into this new role and uh, to, in some way, people have realized how good he actually is at this. Austin, do you want to add anything?
1: There? No, I couldn't agree more. I think that it has loosened him up a bit. I, he's not don't have to worry about the 365 day a year sort of thing now with base. You don't have to worry about the baseball angle. It's pretty much just focused on Monday Night Football. He kept his broadcast partner, and they can sit and now do this, and they can spend 40 years together between the two networks. And that that that's such a good rapport that they have. I mean, you're talking Madden Summerall sort of rapport there, and, and just. It's an incredibly good booth and an incredibly good listen.
0: Chad, let's do something just quick on Tony Romo and his year. The the one thing that's been very e- yeah, yes. The one thing that's been very evident over the last year or two, right, is just the um there's more and more NFL fans who um are I guess are cri- more critical of Romo. Or if nothing else, they 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 think of Romo in a certain way than perhaps they did at the beginning. I think some of this, honestly, is, and it's very much like a, uh, you know, of uh, uh, if you want to use like a professional wrestling analogy, like at a certain point, people don't want to root for the baby face, you know, for five, six, seven, eight years in a row. So I think that's <laughs> some of it. That said, like, I'm a Romo guy, and I'm never going to uh, apologize for that. But like I have to acknowledge that, like, in the last, particularly in the last year, I've probably seen more think pieces on Tony Romo that were more negative than positive. And that's very, very different than when he first started.
2: Yeah. um, Well, he he's changed what he does a little bit. um, And and you can't really blame him for that Where He he just, he doesn't predict the plays like he did, which was really central part of the hype at the beginning. And he was great and he was refreshing. uh, But the, the, the big broad, buzz around him came from the fact that he told you what was going to happen before it did. Uh, He doesn't really do that anymore. And you always heard other analysts kind of mutter that, you know, I could do that too, but we kind of frown upon it on our broadcasts. Um, So I don't know if he's breaking unwritten rules or something by doing that, but he's, he's toned it down. But I've heard from people uh, multiple people the last couple of years that don't think he prepares like he used to. And I think that shows up on the broadcast. If you were just uh, wondering about uh, how much, how much work he's putting in to learn about these teams, there are mistakes that happen that, that make you say he, he's not as up to date as he should be for the number one analyst uh, uh, on his network. I mean, with the Patriots game, I uh, Buffalo Patriots Buffalo game uh, a couple weeks ago. He talked about how the Patriots are great on special teams, and they've been a disaster for about two years. It's things like that uh, that uh, I don't think Aikman makes that mistake. I don't. I, yeah, I don't think uh, you know some other Charles Davis wouldn't make that mistake. So uh, it's frustrating because you can't fool the fans with that stuff and. The other thing I think he he kind of wings it uh, to the point that he gets in the way of the broadcast sometimes. He he needed to be quiet when Naheem Hines took that opening kickoff back and he just he didn't he talked a lot and didn't complete a sentence. And I can understand being emotional in that moment, but just l- let the moment stand. And again, I compared it to what other uh, top analysts would do, I, I, I think they would know to, to to let the picture stand for itself there. And he didn't. And he didn't add anything. Yeah, it's a ch-
0: I mean, again, I think some of that some of that criticism you just said is warranted. I, I you know, I can I will continue to say that I really enjoy the Nance Romo broadcast. I'm a very, very big uh, fan of the that production group. Uh, I'm sure some of it is because I've spent some time with them and I, I think they're really, really good at what they do. But everything you said, Chad, I think is has validity. Austin, um is there anything you wanted to add on um on Romo's year and then we'll do uh one last NFL thing. We'll we'll, we'll get to Fred Goodelli. Listen, I think I, is, is I, I think
1: Romo I, I think think it is the comparison I want to make is that I think before he got this big deal, it was like you said, he was predicting all those plays and it was like a player who Kind of came out of nowhere, had a really good contract year, parlayed it into this massive deal, and now it's like, uh, is it worth that much money? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's not. I, I'm not ready to say that it's bad or anything like that. But at that level of pay, when you're making the sort of buck money and and Al Michaels' money, and, like you 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 better make you better make the calls the way those guys, where those analysts do.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're, I say the same thing about when you're making Chad Finn and Austin Carpenter
1: exactly. as well. And, it's just a different you know, stratosphere, yeah. <laughs> with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
0: Fred Godelli concludes his um, his game producing career or concluded his game producing career with the Jacksonville Chargers game. And the thing about Godelli is you know, I think even the lay, layperson fan, if that's the right term, could really appreciate just how great Sunday Night Football like looked as a production. Goodelli was John Madden's producer at the end of John Madden's career. Um, he obviously had a long, long run with Al Michaels, and he now um, becomes a, uh, you know, a, sort of an executive overseer of uh of amazon's coverage and and nbc's football coverage you won't be in the production truck anymore but the guy did you know i should have this actually here in front of me because i literally asked him about it this week but uh here i'm gonna like filibuster here with you too as i look for this on here because i just want to give the listeners some uh some stats he produced 670 nfl games Seven Super Bowls, 35 postseason games, 532 regular season games, 85 preseason games. Uh, first game as a producer, August 5th, 1990, for a preseason game in Tokyo. Um, I mean, just an amazing career, Chad. Uh, you know, the... the Godelli is someone who, like, um, in our world, you definitely know. Maybe if you're a casual NFL fan, you've read about him. He's probably the only producer who maybe, NFL producer maybe, like an NFL fan, might be able to name. But... um Just a remarkable production career, massive impact, and one of his legacies that will stand long past him is just the quality of the look and imagery on Sunday Night Football
2: yeah and the graphic prep and all all sorts of things. I mean, I think people do know because you hear you know at the end of the broadcast no, no matter how long you've been watching football, you hear uh yeah the play by play guy shout out the producer director, all of that, and I feel like I've been hearing Fred Godelli's name my whole life, and it's funny because uh you know you put you mentioned you know he started in nineteen ninety uh good tell me how old Fred is because he looks, he doesn't look like he's retiring age. You can never find his age anywhere in my experience. Uh, and he, he seems like somebody who's just still completely on top of his game. And, um, I think people do recognize that he's the, the, the guy driving force behind uh, Sunday night football becoming what it is and what the number one primetime show for, I think 12 years now, this year included, um, even though he, you know, was over to Amazon, uh, I I think it, that's a name people might not really completely recognize what he does, but they they, they recognize who he is, and uh, people in our business certainly know the the magnitude of what he's done and and uh, how great he's uh, he's been for football production on television.
0: No doubt, Austin, you you work at a publication where these people um actually do get press and are written about. Uh, you know, I don't have. Uh, the sports business, uh, uh, journals website up here. But I imagine if I hit the search bar, right. And type Fred Godelli in, I'd be seeing, uh, I'd be seeing a ton of search results. Uh,
1: if you looked up, you know, NFL production or producer. Yeah. You probably get Fred Godelli more often than any other person that we've written about as far as that. And it does need to be pointed out that he was, he brought, he did the Amazon production this year and, you know, ignoring the ratings, you needed to have him doing the production for that program in year 1. You needed to establish the blocking and tackling for Amazon that it was a marquee production that they were able to produce a high level yeah. game like NFL like NBC and Fox and CBS and ESPN have done for years. They didn't have much time to grow into it. They had to produce in year 1 otherwise they were going to get torn to shreds uh by, you know, by people like us on podcasts. <laughs> But um, (laughs) he was able to do that. He set them up in an incredibly good spot to go forward into year two and now work on developing better game scheduling, improving on the numbers. And it was an incredible job he was able to do with Amazon in year one, let alone the rest of his storied career.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing with the thing, let's face it, like Amazon's biggest uh, goals here were one, like latency, right? Like, let's not have any kind of... uh, Uh, tech screw-ups because people will never forgive us for that and they'll think we're a rinky-dink operation they didn't seem to have that at all and the other obviously was just the look of the product had to feel like Mm -hmm. sunday Night football fox and cbs 425 and that's where you know whatever they spent on good and i would imagine that digit perhaps maybe got to a seven uh like it was worth it because like you couldn't you would never have had another opportunity to um to sort of give the NFL fan like a sense of what this product's gonna be. Godelli couldn't control the games and some of those games, as Al Michael said, were just dogs. Like they just they were very hard to watch. But the look of that thing generally speaking was good. You may like Michaels and Herb Street. You may not. That's not really mm-hmm. on Godelli what was on Goodelli is just how this thing sort of was presented. And I think in that sense, uh, you know, this is, maybe this is the biggest triumph of his career because he got Mm -hmm. to do this starting from scratch In some other ways, you know, you work for NBC or you work at ESPN. um, If things are at least sort of established. So an excellent career, he's always been excellent to talk uh, to. One of the things I appreciate about Goodelli is, you know, he would talk to you about the business. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there was things he would certainly say off the record that, um, you you know i wish you would put on the record because um he had some great quotes but even on the record he just he he delivered in terms of helping educate readers in terms of what this place is about and like i appreciated that just from my perspective and uh he's not retiring and uh will absolutely be an asset Mm -hmm. for amazon and nbc so uh a tribute there to uh
1: it was not an easy daily. task they Are could we, have easily uh, had a gaffe, no. a technical gaff of some sort then you know you're the natinals and tony Kornheiser is ripping you for the next 20 years
0: right Right. exactly <laughs> yeah i mean right it could, listen it could you're right it could have gone the other way the other you know if that thing was a disaster mm-hmm. then all you're reading about for like months is just amazon is you know the, the nfl mm-hmm. screwed up right they they went to streaming this thing's a disaster and, uh, you know, and I don't want my football on this product mm-hmm. anymore.
2: Uh, you better get used. To- yeah. The yeah. conversation about Amazon was the Absolutely. same as it was Absolutely. for exactly. the network for the most right. part. Yeah. yeah the, which is good for which them. Which good.
0: And, like the, you know, the viewership, no matter how they spin their Alana Russo first party metrics, were lower than I think they wanted. But it's mm-hmm. year one. And so, um, you know, a better schedule. And Austin, you know this; you're the expert on viewership here. Between the three of us, like a better schedule, they're gonna they're gonna get yeah. better numbers. Like that, they're gonna push really for it, it, and, to know, it.
1: they only had one yeah. Cowboys game this year, and this was the biggest surprise for me. They, the one Cowboys game they had there at the end of the schedule for them didn't even draw 10 million viewers. They had six yeah. other games draw over 10 million viewers, and the Cowboys game wasn't one of them. You got to take better advantage of that property.
0: If I was at Amazon and if I was, uh, you know, their, their, you know, Jay Marine, uh, Marie Donahoe, uh, you know, whoever, Jared Stacey, mm-hmm. the, the, the the executive types who were there, I would really push as hard as I can for the NFL, not just to get a great first game, but try yeah. to get a good second game too. Try to build momentum quick. They had a great first game and then it, it you know, or just, yeah, but then, then the a yeah. little bit of, and it's not their fault. Like, you know, you can't predict the Colts aren't going to be good or, or whatever, but if they could go back to back the first two weeks, I think you get some momentum. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com specialoffer offer. All lowercase. That's Shopify. slash special offer. All right, a couple more things here. Uh, I want to talk about Netflix's sports documentaries because they just announced that they've uh, they've got a number of them that are coming out, including one that is out now, Austin, that yeah. you have seen. I have not. Uh, break. Neither have yeah, I. Breakpoint. <laughs> so I wanted to Now I, it's a bad job by me as someone who covered tennis and Sports Illustrated. I should I should have watched this by now, but uh, you have. And so I wanted to get your take you on know, what you I,
1: I am a, a documentary nut. Uh, I've seen more 30 for 30s and HBO docs and Netflix docs, and I care to uh, freely admit. Um, I've seen Drive to Survive, and that was kind of my barometer as to what Netflix was going to present and how they were going to present it. And it was a good start. They uh, you know, dropped five episodes, and they focused on this new crop of young tennis players. And I think – Netflix coming in with this documentary at tennis at this time when you have Serena, Venus, Novak, Rafa, Roger all on the back either out of tennis or on the backside of their careers or soon to exit. You want to know who these rising stars are going to be. Can we have like a, a US star finally, you know, rise to the ranks? and become number one in the world again and win a major. It's It's been over 20 years now, right, since since we were able to have that, since Roddick took the U.S. Open. So you want to pay attention to who these young stars are going to be, who's going to be next in line to be the face of tennis. And I think it was a really good start in delivering. I didn't even know some of these names, and I do this day in and day out. So the fact that they were able to you know show me stuff that I didn't know before. They took us to locales, which is what – locales that are really really cool like spain and australia and um there's there was a french open one so it had sort of that f1 feel where you're going to these new exotic locations kind of on episode by episode basis and i'm definitely looking forward to how that develops more over the course of the season and how we get to know the personalities of these young players well the
0: uh, having um uh... When I was at Sports Illustrated, you know, uh, Scott Price and John Wertheim used to get the uh, the fanciest assignments. You know, they covered mm-hmm. the Australian Open and the French Open. But every person who I ever met um, who covered the sport globally and met a lot of international journalists, they all said if you could ever get mm-hmm. to the Italian Open, it is the most beautiful sporting <laughs> event to cover. Uh, I never did. It's in Rome. It's on obviously beautiful red clay. But that sport, like you're right, Austin, that has a Formula One feel because if you cover – if you cover that sport year round, and if you were a uh, docu series mm-hmm. that did it, you know you're in Monte Carlo or you're in Paris, right? You're in uh, you're in Switzerland. Like the the visuals, the visuals are, are beautiful,
1: beautiful, and I know they kind of have to be where the men and women are together at the same time. So it does limit some of the places you're able to go. Tennis obviously is a traveling circus, but not in the way that Formula One is. Everyone's not all together in the paddock at the same time. So you do have to pick these master's level events, whether it's like you said, uh, whether it's a Rome or they did Madrid and they're doing the majors with France with the French Open and the Australian Open. But still, you're really cool parts of the world and you get to show stuff that viewers are, just have not seen in other documentaries.
0: The one thing I would say, I don't know if you guys have seen this yet. Uh, I have a, I'll have a piece on it on the Athletic on Thursday, and this is my next podcast guest as well. But um, have you watched the Super League, the War for Football, on Apple Q. TV? <laughs> By any chance? No. Austin, if you like Docs, you 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 will really really like this. One, the filmmakers Jeff Zimbalist, who along with his brother yeah, did favorites. Two Escobars, and he's won Emmys. So you're talking about a. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, you're, ta- wow. you're talking about a seriously talented documentarian. And this was fascinating. I love mm-hmm. soccer, so I I would be into it regardless, but it's it it's such a well-done kind of high-octane look at the super-rich clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Arsenal and how they tried to form their own breakaway league to essentially end mm-hmm. the Champions League. And over the course oh. of 4 days in 2021, the league was announced, and then if I don't know if you guys remember this, but all throughout Europe there were yeah. protests from fans. Uh, government officials came in. Boris Johnson said he's going to drop a legislative bomb on uh, on Super League. Close, like it's crazy. Just like uh, the playthings of the rich, and sort of how this like went about over these four days. So I highly recommend it. You do need Apple TV to watch it, but if you're a uh, if you're a soccer fan, the other thing, Austin. Uh, as I saw, I might have read this in uh, in podcaster John O'Ran's uh, piece, uh, is um, Netflix was at the World Cup, right? And I think they have a behind-the-scenes of the 2022 yep. World Cup coming out. That could be, really
1: like could be really There's good. There's one I'm interested to see, the PGA Tours version, because they also have... A,
0: yeah, I don't like it, golf, it, but that, it, they, I bet they you have that F1...
1: <laughs> I don't like. They're golf. all in the same place, so they could present it like they did with <laughs> Drive to Survive. So I, I am interested to see the PGA Tour's version as well.
0: Yeah, right, let me be clear. Like I don't like golf as much as the other. <laughs> P- I mean, I will watch. Well, the majors, nobody was a Formula One a fan until
1: I you am. started getting Drive to Survive out there. Now, now everyone's apparently a fan. Yeah, I
0: just, I've never. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I just, I've never been a fan of, uh, of that sport. It's just a little too slow and a little too. I don't know. Two Country Club. Let's pass the gin and tonics for me. But whatever. Listen, I respect that millions of people play. Uh, it's always incredibly thrilling to watch, like uh, you know, one of these majors when mm-hmm. people
2: are competing. Yeah, you know, on the 18th. You don't get excited when you see the first Masters commercial uh, this time no, of year. No,
0: I don't. But I will no. say, like, I obviously like when Tiger Woods was in the middle of like Masters, like leaderboards mm-hmm. and stuff. It was very exciting. Like I was into it, just like yeah. everybody else. But yeah, like you're not catching me. Like watching the Sony Open, like you know, round two, uh, well, you know, they may have <laughs> reading lightning in the ball so. breathtaking, breathtaking you know, pros. With the whole it.
1: you know, verse, PGA Tour versus Live Golf thing, like I that angle that's I interesting. See. Yeah, I yeah. find the
0: conflict of that is interesting. Yeah, I'm with you on. It. I mean, I can't believe I can't believe it, but Live Golf has forced me to root for the PGA Tour. It is made it is made so for some really that, strange have to out there. On Yeah. Uh, All right, the last one. We've gotten to everything I really wanted to get to today, which is which is good. Um, Austin, I know you're a big tennis guy.
1: I'm looking around my room um, for the tennis fan. What do you think of the Austin? Okay, I guess that's me.
0: Are you? I'm an amateur tennis fan. You were a tennis fan, Austin. Maybe I had the. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like you know, like. Uh Australian mm-hmm. Open is going on now and I wonder if you just give the listeners of this podcast just a sense of like how does this how does this tournament do relative in terms of viewership because it's yeah. you know it's a commitment for the United States tennis fan right to sort of watch this given the timing of it.
1: If you're a night owl this is your major. If you are working the graveyard shift this is your major because that's when that's when this tennis is on. It is on while you are asleep. So the numbers are not great um it is a major and it is the first major of the year so there's a a lot of excitement among tennis fans but when you're talking about like when you get down to the final yeah it's starting at like three in the morning maybe four in the morning and so you if you wake up at six yeah you might catch the last uh last set there um if it if it goes a little later but it, it is definitely for the wee hours of the morning type folks
0: all right, and, uh, Chad, I'm going to give you the last word here on Tommy Brady. How Did you like my Norwood accent there? Uh, yeah, that was... <laughs> I don't know that what was, that was. It was a bad Massachusetts attempt. <laughs> uh, you know, you're our requisite Brady expert on this podcast, given that uh, you were in the market of where he obviously had his fame. Based on nothing, literally no inside information. Zilch. Yeah, I believe Tom Brady will play again next year. I don't believe he will be in a Fox booth next year but I feel like you 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 have a better sense of this how do you how do you read what's going to happen with Brady in relation to broadcasting next year
2: yeah I think the sense is he's going to play um he's kind of indicated that I know people around him have may or may not know anything have said the same thing uh big speculations Vegas reuniting with Josh McDaniels uh, you know David Carr's uh uh, David Carr Derek Carr's on the outs there so that seems to be um One thought, uh, Miami would be interesting. That was where he's trying to uh, finagle his way to going with Sean Payton uh, before all the Brian Flores uh, stuff happened and and, uh, it fell apart um, for – valid reason uh but yeah it seems like he'll play again i I don't know if he should i mean i thought he looked pretty bad last night he just uh, missed missed open throws uh didn't have the arm strength on a couple of throws but uh then he'll go out and zip one when you don't expect it so uh he uh i imagine he's playing again and we're on another year's wait for fox while america falls in love with greg olson
0: (laughs) if you had to uh you had to bet today like if i if we were in vegas right and uh one of these uh one of these books offered a gave us a prop on Brady landing and landing at Fox yeah Did you still bet on Brady one day being a fox broadcaster or do you think that doesn't happen where do you stand on that
2: uh it's really interesting yeah I think he does I think he will um if I could bet on him being good at it I know yeah. which direction I would yeah. go that's but different t- that's different <laughs> by the way uh who told me uh oh
0: Michael Al Michaels told me he thinks Brady's gonna be good he huh. People people are off on that.
2: Yeah, well, they're. Uh, I know they they've played a little golf together through the years. Uh, but, is it uh, one of those deals? Yeah. I don't know. Al, you know, Al yeah. tells the truth. I mean, he'll tell he you does, what he really yeah. thinks.
0: Yeah, they probably. Yeah, know they do. They play golf together, so maybe there's a relationship there. But uh, all right, so Chad, you you're saying that uh, you're saying that he's going to be in the booth. Um, I think I would still take
2: that. No, I think he plays next year, year no, after. No, no, no
0: I'm saying, but booth. one day, yeah. I think I still like. I think I've always said that. There's no way he's going to last like five years in the booth, let alone 10, but I still think he will be in the booth at least. Nah.
2: How much did he lose on FTX? Yeah,
1: he may he need, may need that. I, know. Five. I think he ends I up know. in the booth for sure. I, I think they'll give it a go. They'll give it an experiment, but yeah. uh, I, I think Lachlan has him more to uh, you know pitch to Fox News advertisers and uh, people who want to advertise around Mask Singer. So.
0: <laughs> yeah no i mean he, listen asset. that's an asset right if tom brady mm-hmm. if you're in business with tom brady that's a big big asset yeah i mean sam bankman freed what a freaking joke um anyway um so you gonna be right, in any, anybody's booth so the f the, the former no he's gonna I, my sense is the booth he's gonna be in uh m- yeah. might X-B9, be one, nine CB40, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. for a long time yeah <laughs> yeah as, yeah I mean'm i not a legal expert here but uh i it, it seems like the writing clearly is on the wall on that uh is there anything else uh anything else you guys want to uh mention about sports media before i before I let you
2: two go oh, oh no, no i i i love covered the, it all uh, the n f l analyst uh, conversation is always fun, so
0: yeah I mean we've covered it all i mean where else can you get this kind of uh um sports media commentary about broadcasters oh <laughs> literally fifteen other <laughs> podcasts. Thank you very much. All right. Chad Finn is the Boston Globe sports media writer. Austin Carp is the Sports Business Journal Managing Editor slash digital. I will have you guys back uh I, I you, maybe if if it's not before the Super Bowl, I will absolutely have you post Super Bowl week so we can uh, so we can talk about that because Chad, as you know, um it's going to be fascinating to see how the public feels about the Burkhardt-Olsen call. yeah. And let's say they have a great game or something like that. Very, very interesting for Fox. It could also go the other way, right? Like, this will be more people exposed to Greg Olsen and, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You just, you never know how this stuff plays out, But, uh, but I'm fascinated by this year's Super Bowl. Not only do I think it'll be a good game just given the teams that are left, but it's a really interesting situation given that Greg Olsen, there's never been a Greg Olsen before. There's never been a guy who's like number one where there's this famous football player who's sitting behind him who can come into the booth at any time he decides to retire. So it's a really – Super Bowl's interesting this year for that, at least for me, for a sports media nerd. I'll
1: I'll hold my breath until we do the XFL-USFL preview podcast.
0: Well, maybe maybe if Dwayne Johnson would come on and make us a quartet here, it'd be awesome. Then, I, then I'm happy to talk about it all day. All right, Austin and Chad, thank you very much. Have a great week, and we will see you soon on the sports media podcast. Talk to you guys.
2: Thanks, Rich.
0: All right, back in the studio. Always fun to catch up with Chad and Austin for uh, some uh, sports uh, media roundtable uh, chatter. I tried to go extra deep on the uh, on the um, name dropping today. Just uh, it was, it was in one of those moods, so so there we go. Don't hate, don't hate for the name drops. I know some people don't like it, some people do. Uh, previous podcast prior to this one, Al Michaels. Speaking of Al Michaels, uh, came on for an hour talk about his year with uh, Amazon. I think if you haven't listened to that, you'll find it really, really interesting. That was a good interview with Al. Or at least I thought it was a good interview with Al. Obviously, it's all subjective. Prior to that, ESPN's coverage of DeMar Hamlin, uh, that fateful night on, uh, on January 2nd and how they handled that as a broadcaster. Tara Sloan and Stephen Brunt, two of Canada's most prominent sports voices, were the guests on January 3rd. We had Malik Andrews and Kendra Andrews, Remembering the Life of Grant Wall. I had TJ Quinn on Brittany Grinder's return to America not too long ago. Uh, there should be some things in the archives that you uh, you will want to check out and like. And uh, hopefully you leave us a five-star review on this That's how this podcast I want to, of course, thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13 for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.